Hello and welcome to the Navigating Infertility podcast. I'm Sarah Reese, and I'm so glad you found your way here today. Born out of my 10-year journey to motherhood, along with my 20-plus years of experience with teaching, guiding and supporting others and being an infertility coach, it's my hope that I can help you to experience a greater sense of ease, lightness, empowerment as well as feeling supported on your fertility journey. If you're looking for mental and emotional well-being guidance, proven and practical strategies, as well as authentic conversations that explore the raw reality of what it's like to go through infertility, then you're in the right place. Hello and welcome to the Navigating Infertility podcast. I'm so glad you're tuning in today because this is a really special and important episode where we're going to explore what to do when you're faced with a situation of needing to turn to an egg donor to have a baby. In recent years, we've witnessed a huge increase in the number of women using egg donors to have their family, and I'm one of those women. Back in 2013, we found a beautiful donor in South Africa who donated her eggs, and now I have two little girls who are seven and nine from that one round of IVF. So maybe you find yourself in a situation where you're in the process of considering whether to use an egg donor or not. Maybe you've just been told by your doctor that this is something that you need to consider. Wherever you're at in your decision process, in this episode, We're going to explore the main things that you want to consider from a mental and emotional perspective when it comes to an egg donor process, as well as all of those practical things you need to think about, just so that you're prepared should you decide to move forward. And to help with this conversation, I've invited a very special guest onto the podcast today, Maida Getman. And she is a fertility coach who helps families who found themselves exploring or perhaps facing a journey to parenthood that they'd never imagined using donor eggs, donor sperm, or a donor embryo. Through her candid and honest communication and support, Maida helps her clients go from isolation, loneliness, and deep-rooted fear of what's next to hope and calm and peace confidence, as well as excitement. And this helps them step into whatever that next step looks like to becoming a parent. In addition to her signature online course and one-to-one coaching, Maida is the host of the podcast Infertility Crossroads. She's a repeat speaker and volunteer with Resolve, the National Infertility Awareness Association in the United States, an advocate for women's health, infertility care, and elevating the voices of donor-conceived people, and the founder of a donor-conceived family group in her local community. Maida and her husband, Michael, went through their own infertility challenges, and after eight rounds of fertility treatments, are now parents to twin girls conceived via donor eggs. And I've met those girls online myself, and they're absolutely beautiful. I know Maida personally and very deliberately singled her out to come and talk about this important topic because I can vouch firsthand for her wisdom, insight and sensitivity around all things egg donation. Together, Maida and I are going to discuss how to deal with the grief and come to terms with the prospect of using an egg donor, how to open your mind to the possibility of exploring egg donation as an option the most important things to consider when deciding how to move forward with egg donation, some beautiful pearls of wisdom for deciding how and when to tell people in your life that you've used an egg donor, including your own children, and a deep dive into what it really feels like to be a mum to an egg donor conceived child. So welcome Maida and thank you so much for joining us here today on the Navigating Infertility podcast. So I'm going to ask some questions that I know are going to help our listeners if they're in the process of trying to work out whether or not they're going to use an egg donor to complete their family and and if so, how. But I thought a really good place to start would just be to hear a little bit about your story 
um, what your experience was, what led you to using an egg donor, and also what inspired you to start your coaching business and support other women through this process? Ooh, such good questions. Okay, well, I will start at the beginning, as my kids say. Um, My husband and I started trying for kids right away after we got married. We were in our early 30s. We knew that we wanted to have kids. We also learned very early on that we had some male factor infertility due to some tests my husband had to do. And so I like to say we kind of lucked out in that we started IUI essentially like four months after we started trying, even though we were under 35, we hadn't been trying for a year, but we learned about his male factor. We did four rounds of IUI. Those did not work for us. So we were referred to, we did that through just my regular OB. And so then we went to the fertility clinic and in all honesty, they were like, you, your, everything looks great. Your blood work from the OB clinic looks great. We're not really sure what's going on. They did an ultrasound. You know, they did kind of the workup and they were like, well, we, you know, IVF's going to be your route because IUI hasn't worked, but we're not really sure what the, what's going on. They drew blood and they took my AMH and my OB had not done that. And what came back was I had incredibly low AMH for my age. Um, I was 32 at the time and um, my level was like 0.05. So I basically had like none. And so that was a shocking revelation for me, to be honest. No one told me about AMH, which AMH is a can be a test of, you know, what your follicle levels are. And AMH is not a fertility predictor. So it doesn't say whether or not IVF or IUI is going to work for you. Um, But they said, you know, IVF is the path. Just like everything in my life, and Sarah and I were just talking about this before we started recording, I don't do very many things simply. Um, And so, At the time we were referred to the IVF clinic, we were also moving from Seattle, which is on the West Coast of the U.S., to Minnesota, which Minnesota is basically in the middle of the United States. It's where I grew up. It's a big move, a big move for us. And so we got a second opinion because we had to change doctors anyway. And they were like, yep, IVF is your path. So we started IVF. Literally, as we were moving to Minnesota, we started our IVF cycle, our first IVF cycle. And we ended up going through three IVF cycles. We were able to retrieve eggs all three cycles, but we never got any embryos that made it to uh, six days to freeze. So we did three transfers. Um, We did two five-day transfers and we did one three-day transfer. Never had a positive pregnancy test, never had any embryos left over to freeze. And so it was at that point that our doctor suggested that the issue was eggs, that my egg quality wasn't great, that the eggs weren't weren't working. She said that she probably thought we could do eight to 10 rounds of IVF and get a baby. At that point, we had done three rounds and I was already kind of done. We had no help financially. So we were, everything was being paid for out of pocket for the most part. We had gone through all of our insurance. And so we took a break, to be honest. We, at the time, got on the list at our clinic for a donor egg, but there was about a six-month waiting wait list for um, donor eggs at the time. And so we basically just took that six months to think about it, process it, try to decide and um, when our, by the time we got it, got matched with a donor, about six months later, we had decided donor egg was our path. And so we had a great cycle with our donor. We transferred two embryos uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving in 2015. Um, I will obviously remember that day. Both embryos stuck around and um, our twins were born in uh, July of 2016. So 
They, as we're recording this, are almost seven and a half, they tell me, Um, because half age is still very important at at this age. (laughs) Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's our story. So to answer your question about kind of what inspired me to become a fertility coach and really talk about donor conception, third-party reproduction, all of those things, going through it myself, I did not know very many people who were using a donor. I had never heard of donor eggs until my doctor suggested it as a treatment option for me. I knew about donor sperm because of movies and stuff like that, but you know, donor egg was not something that was really talked about at all. I was lucky to connect with a couple people here in Minneapolis who were either using a donor or who had had used a donor. But I just felt like I already felt isolated going through infertility. And then when we moved into donor, I felt even more isolated. It was mm-hmm. like the group that I had been in now didn't even understand me or what I was going through. And so I was just really inspired to start talking about it and start trying to normalize the process a little bit more and start helping other people know that they're not alone because it is so isolating. And so that's what I did. And now I work with and support others who are kind of at their this crossroads of, okay, how I thought this was going to go isn't going the way that I thought it was going to go. And what is the next best choice for me? Mm-hmm. And that could be donor. It could be adoption. It could be living child-free. It could be trying again with your own embryos or gametes. But it's it's just trying to bring light and bring awareness to others who are going through this same thing. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. And you mentioned that sense of isolation when it comes to making decisions around using an egg donor. What do you find are some of the other biggest stumbling blocks for women when they're faced with this proposition of potentially needing to turn to an egg donor to complete their family? I mean, there's so much. I think You know, one of them, and Sarah, you and I have talked about this a lot, is the the grief and loss over losing your own genetics. I know that's something I felt very deeply. You know, I I was devastated that I wouldn't have kids who had blue eyes and I wouldn't have kids who had my family's double chin, which I hate the double chin, but it's like a family thing. I also was and I and people say this to me all the time. They're worried about how their family will accept their children, mm-hmm. like the the women's family, the the non genetic side of the family. Like, will they love my child as much as they love my brother's kid or my sister's kids? Because like they're not genetically part of our side of the family. Is mm-hmm. there a different bonding that's going to happen there? I always worried that. People would know that my kids were donor conceived, like that they would. This sounds so ridiculous saying it out loud now, but honestly, it's how I felt. But they would like. People would look at me and they'd be like, you're not the real mom. You're not their real mom. And that's just not true. That's not Mm -hmm. how it works. But that's how I felt. I was really scared of that. And the other piece I think that can be really hard when you're thinking through this is the relationship or the connection with the donor. I did not want to know who our donor was. We used an anonymous donor. I would not recommend that now. We could do a whole podcast on that. But I was worried that my kids would see their donor as their mom and they wouldn't see me as their mom. And so those were just some big things that I was struggling with. And I know a lot of my clients and the people that I've talked to really struggle with like will I connect with this child because they're not half me and I never you know expected to go down this route for me too and I think for a lot of people who choose donor eggs I did not feel compelled to adopt adoption was not a path that I wanted to go down it wasn't a path that I wanted that I was choosing 
And so I worried, like, would I form that same bond and connection with a child who wasn't genetically related to me? I can say fully and truly like a thousand percent I've bonded and connected with my children. They are my children. I see them as my children. They see me as their mom. But but that was something that was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think I shared all of those fears at that same point as well. You've kind of outlined them so beautifully. And I think that it's really important for anyone listening to this to be able to know that those fears are valid and they're very normal and very common fears to be having. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it doesn't, when you're having those feelings, I, I felt a lot of shame around those feelings. And I have a lot of my clients feel shame around those feelings. Like it feels selfish or it feels like, oh, I'm, I'm not a good parent. I'm going to be a good parent if I worry about these things or whatever that is. But I think at the end of the day, it's so important to just acknowledge those feelings, to say them out loud, to work through them. And to know that if you are thinking those things, you actually are thinking forward. You are thinking ahead to what this is going to be like for your child and all of these things, which is all the things you should be thinking through if you're considering using an egg donor. Yeah. So it's actually, I think it's a good sign, but it takes, sometimes it takes someone else to tell you that because when you're in it, it can feel really hard. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's have some, having someone to hold the space to, to kind of bring those shameful thoughts and feelings out of the shadows and enable you to process it. Because as you say, it might feel like that's part of you pushing the opportunity of using an egg donor away, but in a way it's actually bringing it closer because you've, you've kind of got to move through that to get to the next step. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the approach that you take with women who are coming to terms with this situation. You've talked about holding space to process feelings, but is there like a, a process that you take people through or what does it look like to, to be working with a coach to nut through some of these issues? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think all coaches work differently. Where I really tend to, to focus on with my clients is we kind of, we take a step back and we start to answer some of the questions of like, why do I want to have a child? Why do I want to have a baby? And a lot of times it can be really hard to answer that question because the answer that comes right away is usually like, well, because I want to have a family. Well, technically, you know, if you're, if you have a partner, you already have a family. If you're, even if you're a single parent by choice, and you're choosing to use a sperm donor or something like that, like you have other people or friends that you would consider family. So we try to answer that question by digging deep. And how we do that is through really exploring what our values are. What are your values? And then what are your partner's values? If you have a partner aligning those values, making sure those values are aligned. And then looking at those values and aligning them to how you how you want to choose to build your family. And so through that process and framework, it becomes very clear what feels good and what doesn't. And I always like to talk about, we want to make decisions that feel comfortable and easy and simple, even though this is a very complex topic. And it's a very complex thing when we're in alignment and we're functioning within the alignment of our our core values, things should feel easy. It should be an easy decision to go, yes, this feels right to me or nope, this doesn't feel right to me. So that's one of the things we work on. We kind of in tandem with that do a lot of the holding space for our grief, our feelings, processing those feelings. You know, once you get to the point of choosing to use an egg donor, most of the time you've already gone through a lot of infertility processes. You've already done a lot of treatments. There's a lot of baggage there. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of 
trauma, little T trauma, and sometimes big T trauma. So we talk through those things. And so through the course of doing that, we then get to what is the right decision. For some of my, a lot of my clients, the right decision is donor egg. And they go forward with that. And then we continue on working through how am I going to talk to my child? How am I going to talk to my family? How am I going to do all of these things? Mm. For some of my clients, the answer is, I don't want to use a donor egg. That doesn't feel in alignment with what my values are and how I want to live my life. But living child-free does. Or adoption feels more aligned to that. Or I've even had a client who was like, I need to try one more time with my own gametes before I move forward. And she got pregnant. And so now she has a child who's her full genetics. So you don't have to be committed to using a donor to work with me. I work Mm -hmm. through that decision-making process with you and align it to to who you are and who your partner is and what you want your future to look like. Yeah. And I think that's so important so that we're not sort of in our head making these decisions without yeah. that that whole person approach of making sure that it aligns to values. Give us an example of some of the values that you're referring to just to make it clearer for anyone who's listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. What are some of the values that are involved with making this kind of decision? I mean, it's It's really, there's so many. I mean, you could go online right now and Google like a hundred, like give me a list of a hundred values and a hundred words will come up. So we look at all different kinds of values, like things from is having adventures part of your, your value system is a family life part of your values is education part of your values is financial security part of your values or you feel more like you want to be at risk right is being in nature a value of yours and so we look at all of those things and then we take those down and we go okay how does egg donation align to financial stability well could egg donation be a cheaper option than adoption yeah it could be or Nope, egg donation is going to cost me $30,000 because I have to pay for an IVF cycle and I have to pay for an egg donor. I don't have $30,000. I'm going to have to take out a loan. That feels too risky to me. I don't want to do that, right? So it's that's just one very small example. Obviously, it's really complex because typically we try to get to like, five to seven values and then how do we align those and everyone's combination of values is different. That's a great example just so that people get an understanding of how values relate to the process but that's it's a really good example. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the most important things just a bit of advice here for women what are some of the most important things to consider when they're about to kick off an egg donation process whether it's you know choosing a clinic a doctor an agency a donor protocol what are some of the important elements that people need to get their head around um, just so that people know in advance before embarking on this process yeah I think the first one is that you feel genuinely excited about using a donor egg so if you're not feeling excited about it you probably need to pause and work through some of those feelings the second thing I would say is As I said earlier, we used an anonymous egg donor. We don't know who she is. We've been trying to track her down. It's been proving a little bit harder than we thought. I do not recommend using an anonymous donor unless that's your only option. And for a lot of women, that can be their only option. And I know in Australia, the egg donor process is a lot different than it is in the United States versus in Europe. But I think having listened and heard and talked to adults who are donor-conceived and having now seen the impact of not having some of the answers for my own kids about Mm -hmm. their donor, knowing who your donor is, not being best friends with them, not having her in your life all the time, not like having her live next door. That's not what I'm saying. 
But I'm saying having basic information and contact information with her is really important for our future children. Donor egg conception is around 50% effective. Like it's when you look at the IVF rates for using your own eggs compared to IVF with donor eggs, the percentage of of success go up significantly when you use a donor egg. And so it's really important to try to get yourself into the mindset of this is going to work for me, yeah. which can be hard when you've gone through infertility and nothing's worked. But I think it's so important to get into the mindset of this is going to work for me. So what does this mean for my future children? Mm. And that's where that being able to contact your donor, being able to have know who they are, being able to say like, yep, your donor's name is so-and-so and being able to share medical information is yes. just really important. And that's why, I mean, I did a whole podcast episode on my own podcast about like, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do anonymous, but I think that's really important. So it's finding a clinic, an agency, when you're looking for your donor who are open to those that conversation are are supportive of the the known donation or at least the mm -hmm. contact with the donor yeah. if you can if yes. you have access to that if you don't then know what decision you're making and know what that will look like on the back end which is mm -hmm. essentially trying to track them down doing dna testing on your children all of these things kind of on the back end um and i think that that's on the parents that's not Oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to wait till my kid turns 18 and then they can figure it out. I mm -hmm. think that's on me as the parent to try to help and support and work through that. And then last but not least, I think it's important to work with a clinic and a doctor who have done egg donor cycles. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have. It's mostly the same process when you're going through an egg donor cycle as if you were doing like a frozen embryo transfer from the the recipient's perspective, but there are unique nuances to it. There are unique feelings that come up. And I think it's just important to have providers and doctors and clinics who have done it before mm. and they understand, they understand it. The last thing I would say as you're looking for a clinic or a doctor is know how much of the coordination you want to take on versus you want to give them. So like in the United States, I can pretty much go to any clinic I want and some of the clinics work with certain agencies. Some of the clinics will take eggs from any agency, but they won't do the coordination. So then like I would have to do it. Well, that's a lot of time, energy, effort, knowing all of those things. So it may be better for you to go with a clinic or an agency where they're like, you pick the donor, we do everything else. We coordinate with the, the doctor, we ship the, um, the eggs to the blah, 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 blah. Or if you feel like, gosh, I need more control over that, maybe you want to do one where you have more control. So it's really, you have to understand kind of their process for getting the eggs to the clinic, how they do that whole thing, and then deciding how much control you want or not. Fantastic advice. Yeah. Um, and I think just on the first point you were making about the anonymity, I use an anonymous donor, but there was a caveat in the contract that said that she would be open to contact and we have done that. And we did our process 10 years ago now, and I've got a call booked in with our donor and her mum next weekend. We, we oh kind gosh. of touch base via Zoom once every six months. Yeah. And, and it has been really, really fabulous. And it's wonderful for the girls to come in and see. And we always talk to them, oh, you look like Olivia, Sasha, and things like that. And I would really reinforce that. It felt really important to me as well yeah. for that reason of thinking down the track about what the girls would need. And then the other thing I was going to say to your second point around being careful about the clinic you choose, just something that I would add here and maybe Look, I don't know a lot about IVF. I've done enough rounds to know a little bit, but you know, we used a clinic that had, because we were using a surrogate as well. So we had to use a clinic that was supporting the surrogate and we flew our donor 
from South Africa to our um, surrogate to do a fresh embryo transfer. But that doctor hadn't really worked with women who were really fertile through IVF. Had He had only sort of worked supporting women who were struggling to get pregnant. Yes. And so our donor went through um, overhyperstimulation. And so that was really quite a challenge. So I think that's something to be thinking about too, that you've got someone that is experienced, not just from a practical perspective with donors, but also from a medical perspective as well. And they know what they're doing with the, with women who are really fertile and, and our donor had a very high AMH as well. I think um, that's such a good point, Sarah, because it is totally different going through an egg retrieval with someone who is going through IVF or an egg retrieval because they have infertility and they they don't respond to the medications or they have a low MA, like all of those things versus a donor who's coming in who's theoretically young, healthy and fertile and that's that's a totally different process and making sure that you're because you want to care for your donor too right? They're a person, they're giving you a beautiful gift and you want to make sure that they're also being cared for and taken care of and that they're working with professionals who understand their situation. I think that's such a great point. So can you speak from your own experience? You've talked to this all already a little bit, but let's unpack it in a bit more detail. What is your experience around what it feels like to be a mum to egg donor conceived children? Oh, Good question. Okay, so I'll be totally honest. The first time I held them, I did not have the feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm in love. These are the most amazing humans in the entire world. I did not have that feeling. I felt a lot of shame about that. I don't anymore because I know that that's normal and real for a lot of moms, not just moms who have conceived via donor. So. I know that that's totally normal. The moment I held them, I instantaneously felt like I knew who they were, that they were mine. There wasn't, it wasn't like, who is this random human? Like, I I knew them because I had carried them and I had been thinking about them and been praying for them and working for them for, you know, however many years I, we went through our process. In that respect, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. I think one thing that I struggled with at the beginning was when you're going through infertility and you're going through donor and you're you're feeling really isolated and nothing's happening the way it's kind of supposed to be happening and you feel almost not normal, right? You feel mm-hmm. abnormal because you're not getting pregnant the way that you thought you would. And then I had these babies And all of a sudden, I was just a normal new mom. And all of the challenges that I had as a new mom were were the same things that every new mom experiences. And to be honest, it was kind of jarring to be like, wait, but now I'm normal, but I'm not normal because these babies are donor conceived. And when they were first born, I thought about it a lot. I did. I thought like, okay, they're donor conceived. And there were a few hard moments where like, I was like, you don't look like me at all. Like, I, you know, I, you look exactly like Michael, like your dad. Like, do you even know me? And I would second guess myself. But as I was awake with them and I fed them and they grew up and all of those things, I'm the one who's been there for every, all the moments. I'm the one who kept them alive when we were not sleeping. I was the one who, I mean, Michael obviously helped too, but like there, there has never been a doubt in my mind that they are not my children. They are a hundred percent my children. They have some of my mannerisms. They have honestly some of my coloring that I didn't expect. And now, seven, almost seven and a half years in, I, there are days that I don't think about it. I think the thing that, you know, is interesting is being in this line of work and working as a fertility coach and 
talking about donor conception a lot, I do think about it in that sense. But when I'm in my normal everyday life being their mom, I don't think about it. Like I don't think while I'm driving them to school, oh, your donor conceived. I don't think about it that way. There are still times where a little bit of self-doubt will creep in. But I think that is, I know that is residual grief and loss because mm-hmm. grief and loss always sticks with us a little bit. Yep. We work through it. It's not, it's not as big of a, a cloud over us as it is at the beginning. But if you've ever lost someone that you love or you've gone through that, like, you know that that grief changes you and it 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 sticks with you and it doesn't impact your everyday life, but it's still there. So I would say there's still little moments like the other day, one of my girls was like, well, you're not my real mom, but like she's seven and she was mad because like I wouldn't let her drink juice. And that's what seven-year-old girls say when they get mad. You know, like, again, my friend's kids have said that. It's not, she's not saying it because like, she's not genetically connected to me. She's saying it because that's just who she, that's who she is in the stage of life she's in. Because I've worked through my feelings around that, that glimpse of like, well, you're right. I'm not really your real mom. And then I'm like, no, I am 100% your real mom. and you're just mad. So let's work through that feeling, child. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I think in general, I would say I feel like a regular mom. I struggle with the same things all moms struggle with. I love my children dearly. I They are 100% mine. They feel like mine. And In all honesty, I'm really grateful to our donor. I'm grateful now for the path that we went down because if we hadn't used a donor, these exact children who live with me and who I get to raise would not be these exact children. And they are amazing humans. And I love getting to know them. And without our donor and without me and without all of the little pieces that went into creating them, the exact people who they are would not be these people. And that to me is such a a gift that I can't imagine any other children being in my life and being my children because these two are just perfect, exactly who they are in the way that they are. So. Oh, so beautifully put, Maida. Thank you. And I, and I feel the same way too. And I, and I, I think I would just add that, I also used to surrogate to have our children and even with surrogacy and egg donation, I still feel that as way well, as yes. well, even in the absence of of uh, having carried a pregnancy. So totally. Yeah. Well, and I think that that goes to show that the bonding with our children happens when I think it starts when we decide we want to have them. Mm. because if we weren't bonding and connecting with them we would not be putting ourselves through all the things that we put ourselves through to bring them into this world yeah and that is from the IVF cycles and you know putting our own bodies through things to looking to donors and surrogates and other people to help support our family building journey. Every one of those moments is is bonding and connection and loving of this child that's coming. Mm-hmm. And that to me is regardless of the genetics. It's regardless of who carries them or how they're created because they they're who we're we're excited to meet and we need all of those people right you needed your donor and your surrogate to have your kids be exactly who they are Mm. and you and your partner right like all of those people had to play a role and I think that's what's so important when you're thinking about donor conception you're it can feel like you're closing your options off 
But I like to look at it as you're actually expanding your circle of who is helping build your family. Mm. And when you can see it as expansion, that a lot of people don't get that expansion. Yes. You know, you don't get um, one, a donor conceived person who I've spoken to a lot. I had her on my podcast, you know, she shared with me and this was just so mind blowing to me, but I think it's so true is three people helped create my kids me, my partner, and our donor. Mm-hmm. How many kids get to say that three people helped create them? <laughs> Your kids get to say four people helped create <laughs> them. Like, that's so beautiful to me mm-hmm. and a gift. So. Yeah. yeah, it's a very unique, special experience. That's it for is. sure. Yeah. It is. It is. Maida, the question of whether to tell or not to tell. So in terms of telling other people whether you've used a donor or not, and also in particular telling your children, you know, what do you advise people around when and how to tell the children? So 100%, what I like to say is you have to tell your child. You have to. Um, that to me is not a, not even a decision um, because if you don't, it's a secret and secrets are harmful. and. There's nothing, and secrets usually come with shame, and secrets usually come with things that you're trying to hide. And using a donor is not shameful. It's not, and it shouldn't be a secret. So you should always tell your kids. How you tell your kids, I always tell people, start with kids' books, children's books. There nowadays are a lot of them that are really great in helping to really boil down the story of donor conception into simple words that kids understand. And I actually tell my clients to go out and and people who follow me, anyone who will listen to me, honestly, I tell people, go buy one or two books now before you even have a child. It's going, they're going to be really hard to read at first. I think when I first read those children's books, I sobbed through them. Because one, it, it's hard reading your story, but two, it helps you process your feelings and your grief around the egg donor process. But three, it also helps you get used to talking about it and practicing talking about it before your child's even here. Even if you're just talking about it out loud to yourself alone in a room can be really, really helpful. And so that that's my number one recommendation. Children's books, buy one before you even have a child and read it and start reading it. The second thing is once your child's here, start reading the book to them. Keep the books in their room or wherever you keep their books as part of their normal book rotation. It shouldn't be something that you like break out and say like, now we're going to read this special book. Our donor books are up in my girls' rooms. They're still there. They're part of their regular cycle. And sometimes they pull them out and other times they don't. But reading those books and then you can start a dialogue with your kids. Even when they're two, three years old, Mm -hmm. you can say, this is how we help. This is how we brought you into this world. And and they go, okay, right? Like they don't necessarily understand, but it's you practicing. So that by the time they get to age four, five, six, where my kids are now, this is a conversation we've been having mm-hmm. for four, five, six, seven years. Yeah. In terms of telling other people, this is where I personally feel like you can be private about your child using a donor and you can tell people or not. That's your choice. What my husband and I thought through and who we decided to tell before I became very public on social media and everyone in my life knows now, because if you follow me on social media, you know. Um, So I'm a little bit different. But before that, what my husband and I talked about and decided was we wanted to tell the people who were going to be in our children's lives who could be encouraging and affirming of them being donor conceived. So that included our parents, that included aunts and uncles, it included some 
very close friends who we knew would always be in our kids' lives. So that when our kids, or if our kids said to them, did you know that there were three people who helped mom and dad have me? Those people would go, I did know that. Isn't that so cool? Versus, no, 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 that's not how you have babies. That's not how babies are made. So we wanted those core people to really be affirming of their story. And so that's how we talk, talked about it with them. The other, I think, key people to know are your child's doctor, pediatrician, definitely needs to know because there's medical history involved there. And then the last, the last one that I would say that's recently come up is we ended up telling our kids first grade teacher, mm -hmm. um, our teachers. Yes. Yep. And we don't typically tell them right away, but the reason why it came up was because a family tree project mm -hmm. came home and it was great. It was great because when we sat down and talked to the girls about it, we actually drew a third part of the tree because they wanted to and they wanted to talk about their donor and then for what we know about her. And then um, we did share with their teachers so that, again, their teachers would be affirming of their story mm -hmm. and not questioning them of their story because they're seven. Yes. Right. If adults are questioning them of their story, like that puts them in a really hard position. And so we just said, like, we didn't give all the details, but we just said, hey, wanted to let you know, like, our kids are donor conceived. We used a donor egg. They know about it. They talk about it. We're very proud of proud of it. And we've added it to their family tree. And we would really appreciate your support in them sharing their story. And their teachers were like, this is awesome. Great. So. Again, it it now has become situational, mm -hmm. right? That they get put in positions where the adults around them can affirm them. That's what's important to us. Yes. And then they're getting to an age now where they can talk about it. And if they choose to share, great. And if they don't choose to share, they don't choose to share. But because it's never been a secret... Because Michael and I have worked through our own grief and loss and shame around the process. We're very open and affirming of it. Our family and friends are. And we have had a lot of people around us who have been. Mm. I do have to say there, I have some clients who are like, this person is not going to be supportive of me using an egg donor. And so we talk through how can we work through that? How can we handle that? Typically, people who aren't supportive of people using an egg donor, there are other relationship challenges or other things where maybe you're not spending a ton of time with them. So you may not look to them to be that supportive person and that's okay. We talk through different strategies of how to manage some of those harder relationships, if you will. But for the most part, once your children are here, people see your children as your children. They don't see them any different. And it's really hard to not accept a child. Yes. So usually that's not a challenge. I've had some clients where we've had to navigate some of those things. Mm -hmm. But that's, again, where working with a coach or working with someone, therapist can help you kind of navigate what that would look like. Fantastic advice. Thanks, Maida. Before we finish today, just a couple more questions. Just summarizing everything we've talked about, if you had to leave our listeners today with just one real gold nugget, one piece of advice that you really want women to know, or a message that you want women to know who might be considering using a donor, what would that be? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. <laughs> my one thing is, Donor egg was incredibly scary for me and it was the best decision that I ever made. And so it's okay to feel scared. It's okay to feel all the things, but feel the feelings, work through them, understand where they're coming from 
And if donor egg is still in alignment with who you are and what you want for your future and for your partner's future, there are a lot of unknowns with donor egg. There's a lot of unknowns with life. And you just have to take the step forward and and go to what feels right for you. And I, you know, I will never say to someone, I guarantee you donor egg will be the best decision you'll ever make. I won't say that because I don't know that for anyone, even my clients. You know, some of my clients come to me and they're like, I need you to tell me if donor egg is the right thing for me. I I can't. That's not something I can tell you. I can help you figure that out for you. I can give you tools and resources and frameworks and talk to you about it and all of those things. But ultimately, it's up to everyone to decide for themselves. But what I can say is that just because it's scary doesn't mean it's not right. Mm. And it's figuring out what is right. And sometimes what's scary is what's right. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. And Maida, what are the ways that people can work with you? I know that you've got um, an, an online program. Is that right? Yes. So I have an online program called the Donor Download. I'm actually going to be in the process soon of making some changes to it, but the core content's still going to be the same. So we kind of talked about the framework around my program and information about that is on my website, madagetman.com. I'm sure we'll link it in the show notes. We will. I have a, I also have a podcast, um, Infertility Crossroads. Would love to have you join me there. And I'm on Instagram at madagetman. Love sharing information there too. I'm always happy to answer questions or chit chat in direct message or anything like that. My program gets open, you know, I open it for a little bit and then I close it and then I open it and close it. So even if it's you come and it's not open, um, that doesn't mean I'm not available. So just reach out. I love hearing from people and just chatting. So I'm, that's how you can find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I will put links to all of those things in the show notes. Maida, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Navigating Infertility podcast. Such sage wisdom and also for sharing so wholeheartedly about your own experience. I know it can be quite personal, uh, but I think that what you've shared will be so incredibly helpful for any woman who's listening today who might be considering egg donation. So thank you so much. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Navigating Infertility with me, Sarah Reese. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review and share it with other women whom you know would benefit. Make sure you tag me if you share it on Instagram at opentolife underscore Sarah Reese. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes and I'll see you next time.